Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the One Broke Actress Podcast, an honest account of actor life plus a few lessons I learned in the process. I am your host, Sam Valentine, and we are going to get straight into it today because I am so excited. Highly, highly requested guest today, my own theatrical agent, Brittany Stone of Stone Talent Agency. Get your pencils ready because we are going to get into it today. I had a ton of questions already ready for Brittany, and then the Patreon team submitted a bunch more that were phenomenal, and I cannot wait for you to listen to this episode. Buckle up because we are covering... Brittany's background from being a lawyer to being an agent, we are covering the submission process, what a day in an agent's life looks like, how she goes about balancing her time, what it actually is to pitch versus submit an actor, when an actor is pitchable, how she picks actors, when and why they stick out, what's a big no versus a big yes, where she is at right now in her company, what she is looking for, and what she values in actors and sees above all the rest. This is such an open conversation, and we even talk about our relationship and how it has grown. So stay tuned till the very end because Brittany drops some beautiful bombs about what she appreciates in actors. You guys are going to love this episode. So without further ado, please enjoy my theatrical agent, Brittany Stone. Ladies and gentlemen, after much request, my agent, Brittany Stone, is on the podcast. Hi, Brittany. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for taking the time to do this. Of course. Uh, I think people, we don't need to have like a full bio of you, but I do think that it's really interesting. Your lawyer backstory. Would you tell people a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, there's not really much to it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I worked at an agency many, many moons ago and, um, kind of realized there was not a lot of upward mobility in that company. And so I left the company and I was like, oh, crap, I don't know what to do. And my dad suggested, why don't you go to law school? My brother's a lawyer. He's a district attorney or deputy district attorney, not the district attorney. It's like <laughs> the other people anyways. And I was like, I'm not going to be a lawyer. That's ridiculous. And then I was like, well, crap, I really don't have anything else to do. Let's just try it. And so I went for law, went to law school and turned at some companies. I worked with NBC Universal and RKO, um, some smaller private companies. And then when I graduated, I was like, I don't want to be a lawyer. This is ridiculous. It has like the highest, highest alcoholism and drug abuse problem out of any, out of any job in the country. So I kind of steered away from that, um, ended up taking the bar, I passed the bar. And then after that, I was like, well, being an agent with a law degree kind of helps. So I kind of, I have it in my back pocket. It's, it's, it's good to use, uh, when needed and it's good in this job. It's a great asset to have. I get to review contracts. And then when I get to do test deals and people don't realize that I'm an attorney, they're like, here are all the gives. And I'm like, thank you. Didn't have to even deal with this. This is great. You know? They, they, they speak to me as if like, I, I, I don't understand the legalese, which sometimes benefits us, but yeah, no, it's, it's a great asset to have. It's helped a lot over the past mm, decade. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Haven't been a lawyer for a decade, but I've been working agenting for about that long. So yeah. I'm sure some days it feels like just the same amount of paperwork. You know, it's a lot of reading. It's a lot of reading. It's a lot of reading. It's not necessarily the paperwork. It's more of the reading. Like these 
some of these breakdowns are like novels. And then when you add that onto the scripts that we're reading during pilot season, plus emails, plus actual contracts, yeah, it's a lot of reading. Take me through kind of what a standard day for you looks like. And I know you have twins, you have a whole life outside of the acting business, but what does your kind of work day look like? Uh, I think those lines are kind of blurred right now, just because of everything. I was lucky that I was an owner of my own company when I had my kids. So I was able to start working from home before the pandemic started. So I feel like I kind of had a leg up on everybody where I was working from home, balancing with my kids. My husband works from home. So we already had this whole setup before COVID hit. Hasn't really changed, which has been really nice. My day, again, it's kind of blurred. I wake up 6.30, 6.45. My kids wake up at 7. I check my emails real quick, make sure there's no tapes due like at 8 o'clock. Sometimes on the East Coast, tapes are due at 10 o'clock there, but it's 7 here. So make sure that there's nothing pressing. Spend an hour and a half with my kids. Then I come in my office, open up breakdowns, open up my emails, try and catch up on all the emails that came in throughout the night, follow up on any pins or avails that we have, you know, that might be shooting in the next day or so to make sure we have everyone's schedules, start submitting, start pitching, sending out auditions. The submitting doesn't stop. I mean, by the time I'm up at seven, there's already East Coast submissions that are available. By the time I'm ready to go to bed, they're still putting out breakdowns in Los Angeles. So it's constantly, it's just, a, it's a constant cycle, you know, but I've been able to carve out like a very meticulous schedule with my husband where we, we alternate. And when it's busy time for me, I'm on my computer and I'm doing my stuff and he's kind of, you know, helping more with the kids. And when it's his busy time, I do the opposite. So are there things about that schedule that could be made easier if actors knew. For example, the fact that you sit down and East Coast breakdowns are already out. Would it behoove actors to send emails to agents at a different time? Like, is there a way that this process is more streamlined for you? Yeah, I think, you know, what I always tell my clients is don't, don't send me emails in the middle of the night. I mean, you can, and I will get to them, but it's going to take me longer to get to them because by the time I wake up, there's already like 50 emails from the morning that have come in and pushed those down below. I think the like best time for any of our clients to kind of reach out to us are between the hours of like 10 and two, 10 and three at the latest, just because in the morning mornings, we're catching up on everything the night before. Then from like 10 to two, we're like actively submitting and pitching. And then once like the two or three o'clock hour rolls around, those auditions start rolling out, which means we're spending all of our time getting the auditions out, getting them confirmed, dealing with bookings, also still submitting during that time. And it can become a lot. And in my, in my case, making my kids dinner at five o'clock, you know? So I think the midday communications are the best. Don't text in the middle of the night. Nobody wants to deal with that. (laughs) Um, But you know, I, my, all of my clients know that from like five to six 30, every single day, I'm with my kids. I have my phone on me and I have my computer open, but I'm focusing on my kids because everything can wait an hour so that I can spend time with my kids because I don't get to spend time with them because I'm working all day. Uh, So I've made sure to really carve out that time where all of my clients know if there's an emergency or you're on set or a tape won't upload or something is actually like urgent, I'm there. My phone is there. I will pick it up. You might hear screaming in the background from my kids (laughs) playing, but we're there. But as far as, you know, just calling to shoot the shit, talk about headshots, like I'm not going to answer my phone at five o'clock. I'm not going to choose to talk about headshots instead of spending time with my kids. It's just not going to happen. 
<laughs> this makes everyone happier in the long run. When, yeah. when, when you're dealing with day-to-day stuff, when you say like actively submitting, will you give us a picture of what that kind of looks like for you as an agent? Actively submitting, opening up breakdowns or casting networks or casting frontier, looking at what casting has put out to us that they need. You know, we go through our roster, we pick who we think best suits that role. And we usually put some outliers in that we might not think are perfect for casting is thinking outside the box. You know, we throw some of that in as well. If there are people that are needing to be pitched, we send pitches, um, depending on if it's pilot season or not. What does that, what does that mean exactly? Let's just say there's a TV show looking for like a super cute blonde girl that is like married to a personal trainer that might have a podcast or something like that. Like it's a very specific breakdown. Sounds like a great show. <laughs> right. It sounds, it sounds like a perfect role for one of my clients. Uh, when I read that, I'm going to go, holy crap, that is Sam. That means I'm either going to pick up the phone or I'm going to shoot an email to casting, depending on who the casting director is. Because certain casting directors don't want to jump on the phone and certain casting directors prefer email or prefer phone. Granted, we're all working remotely. So like no one wants to sit on the phone right now because we're all juggling a lot of things. So I will communicate in some fashions of casting. Hey, I have your girl. She literally fits all of these specs. You got to see her. What do you think? And then, you know, you're already submitted. You've been pitched and casting can either look and say, yeah, she kind of fits, but she's not perfect. (laughs) Or, oh my gosh, you're right. She's perfect. Let's get her in that's a pitch. There are some times that casting won't reply. That usually either means they're really swamped and they didn't get it, or that means you weren't right. I will usually follow, if it's something that you're really perfect for, I will follow up again just to make sure. Sometimes casting will just send the appointment. They won't even reply because they don't have time to do that Mm -hmm. with everybody. You know, they'll just send the appointment and I'll send a little note saying thank you. But, you know, our job is to get people in for everything that they're right for. And for sometimes everything that they don't seem right for, but might be right for. Those pitches are actually a little more difficult where it's like, hey, they have a, they have more of a broad description where we kind of really don't know what they're looking for. And we're kind of taking a shot in the dark. Unless the description shows that they're open to everything, then I'm going to pitch who I have, who I think is really right for the show. Yeah, it just, it kind of depends. Um, and it depends on the project too. How much of that is is deciding when to pitch versus when to just submit? it's a constant debate in my brain because I know the moment that casting puts that breakdown out, they're getting a billion submissions and they're getting a billion emails. And do I want mine to get lost in there? No, I don't. But at the same time, I don't want to miss my window of opportunity where they fill up all of their audition slots and they then don't have room to see my actor. Granted, that's a little less likely now that everything is self-tape. Like if they want to see them, they're going to see them. You know, the in-persons kind of really present that problem. But yeah, so depending on if it's in-person or virtual, but if it's virtual, they'll usually see someone if they're if they're even remotely close. And sometimes they get a response from casting saying, you know, they're not quite right, but let's try them. And you'd be surprised how many times they get pinned when that happens. It's kind of crazy. But determining when to pitch is kind of, I try to do it like around the three to four o'clock time frame because I know that they're starting to send appointments out and they're doing it then. So it might be less busy for them dealing with everyone emailing or mm-hmm. calling. But if it's, let's just say like a pilot, they might not be sending appointments out that day. They just put out like eight series regular roles. Like they need a minute. So like I'm not pitching. Also, 
I hear when they're pitching, right? Like all managers and agents, we all kind of communicate. And so if I know that someone else got called in for a role and I have someone and they did not get called in, you bet your ass I'm pitching. Do you pitch multiple people on your roster often for the same role or do you usually pick one? That's a good question. It depends on the role and it depends on the casting director. For series regulars, I'm more open to pitch one or two because they really don't know what they're looking for. I mean, they know what they're looking for, but they're finding their person. They're not being dictated their person, right? Like if you're casting on an episodic, the writers already know the storyline. They know what they're doing. They know the character they're looking for versus a pilot. The actor's job, right, is to create this character that producers are casting are like, that's the character. You know, it's not always on the paper, right? So there's a little bit more creativity and out of the box thinking with pilots, I think, because we can kind of manipulate the storyline. You know, if someone's being called in and or the role calls for partnering, but they're not actually related to anybody in the show. And I have an actor who maybe is from El Salvador who would fit really well. They could change that to suit the character. Actually, I had that happen right now. Have somebody on set, am I allowed to say the name of the show? I don't even know how I'm allowed to say. <laughs> a really, really, really cool show in New York with very, very, very famous people in it. They actually emailed my client to ask her heritage and her family story so that they could incorporate her actual culture into the role. That is so cool. Which I thought was so cool. And this was for like a co-star. This was not for, this is a high profile show. So like, I understand the, you know, desire and attention to the, the desire for attention to detail, but you see that more along the lines of like, the guest star in the, the series regular, especially the series regular where they can frame the story around the actual authenticity of that person. Not really on the coaster. So I was very, it, it was actually really cool that that just happened, but um, it gives us a little bit more opportunity to kind of think outside the box with pilots. Cause we get to kind of play around and think about people in a different way and how they would present something that we might not think of and casting might not think of and producers might not think of. And then they book. How has this process changed since COVID happened? Because you said your day-to-day life is very similar because you're still working from home, but how has the process of submissions or auditions or all that changed for you since COVID? You know, it's a lot more work. (laughs) I will say that. It's a lot more, I think it's really a lot more work for everyone. I think the perception is that it's a lot harder for agents and actors and a lot easier for casting and producers because they're not holding in-person sessions anymore. They're not like doing camera operating and they're not putting packages together and stuff like that. But it's really hard for everyone because my job used to be, I would submit, I would pitch, but I had nothing to do with the actual audition process. My actor would go drive to the studio or the lot or wherever the audition was, do their thing, leave. And I would follow up with casting to see how it went. And it was either hey, they did great. It's not moving forward or it's great. We're going to pin them. Okay. We're going to book them. And that was kind of the extent of it, right? Like that was my workload as far as my job was to get people in the room. Once they're in the room, it's their job. Now our job is to get people in the figurative room. Then we get the audition. We have to send them all of the audition details, have them self-tape, deal with any type of questions that might they might have about the role, about the script or anything, because they're not going to be in the room to ask casting a question if there's an issue. So if there is an issue, we reach out to casting, make sure that there's no confusion. 
Um, they send us tape and then we have to either upload it to breakdowns or cast it or email it or a Dropbox or whatever. <laughs> and, and, they're all, that, and they're all different every single time. They're all different. <laughs> they all have their own unique, terrible things about them. <laughs> um, it's, you know, like I, one of them, you can't upload more than one video at once because the whole thing will just crash. One of them, you have to change the order. One of them you have, like, it's, it's just, it's kind of, it would be nice if everyone used one, but I understand, you know, we all have different, whatever. Anyway. So our job then is to a watch the tape because I want to see what we're submitting Mm -hmm. to make sure that they did it correctly. There are such very, very, very specific instructions about every tape, like what information needs to be on your slate, whether it's your name, whether there's profiles, whether there's not profiles, whether they want, um, not subtitles, what are those called? Like little. Oh, like the, the, like the name on the file. Yeah. Like, like how they want the file labeled. Um, do they need your vaccination status? Do they need your location? Do they need you to submit it in separate takes or in one video? Like there's so many, there's so many guidelines that we need to follow that we can't kind of blindly submit and trust that everyone's doing it correctly because a lot of the times everyone's trying, but there are a lot of instructions and sometimes people mess up. So our job then is to say, Hey, you didn't, you didn't address this question that they asked. Can you please redo your slate or Mm. Hey, you forgot a scene or whatever. Do you cross reference it every time with the instructions? That feels like a lot. I had no idea that you did that. Yeah, we kind of have to, because we, (laughs) we get, uh, uh, <laughs> we, we find out that, that, that it has been done incorrectly in so many words, Got it. Um, Check. you know, and if I'm being really honest, the instructions are usually very clear and it just takes the attention to detail to look through it and make sure it's done correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like the one that I have up on my screen right now, name and height at the beginning of the read, that's a theatrical usually theatrical hmm. about the slate at the end, but this specific one wants it at the beginning and they want it all in one take. So I think the, the attention to detail, that is probably the most con- time consuming thing for us is making sure that we communicate all of those details to the actor for them to perform exactly how it is requested, you know, and that's hard. So then when we get the tape back, well, I would have never seen anybody's performance before, right? Unless that we requested a self tape, which was really rare. Um, but now I get to see everyone's performance. I get to kind of see why they're not booking if they're not booking or if they're not yeah. getting any pins. I can see like if their tapes are terrible or if their tapes are great. Or if I think their tapes are great, I can call casting and be like, this tape is fantastic. Like, is there some reason this person isn't booking? Like it actually gives me a little bit more leverage to speak with people and kind of figure out why people aren't booking as opposed to just calling casting. How did it go? You know, but yeah, then we upload the tape, we submit it and uh <laughs> say our prayers and hope for the best. (laughs) (laughs) How many, how like on a day-to-day basis, how much time are you spending watching self-tapes? It varies, but it can range from a half an hour to two hours at the most. I mean, look, the self-tapes, they aren't that long, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But they are long enough where I have to pay attention to them. I can't multitask while I'm watching tapes. You know, it takes a little bit of time and we watch every single tape that we're going to submit. I love that. The only, I, there's, there's I an exception like that. to that. The, the only time I talk is when actors are bad actors and they submit the tape at 2.59 and it's due at 3 p.m. 
and it's a two minute tape. And by the time I'm done watching it, the deadline will have closed. So assuming that it is not a last minute tape that I then have to watch after I submit it. Yeah. We watch every single tape. What's kind of stood out to you from watching these self tapes? I think the biggest thing is it really helped me understand why certain actors don't book. And it also helped me understand why certain actors do book. Any through lines you want to share with the class? I think the biggest thing is follow instructions and don't give casting what you think they want because they don't know what they want. I mean, they have an idea of what they want, but if you show them something that is magnificent and they've never seen this and they did not expect this, you just became the wild card where they're going to pick probably one or two others of what they expected to send to producers. And you just became like another viable option. Right. So um, I always tell actors, like if, if you want to go a little crazy and do something really outside the box and you feel uncomfortable about that, then do one take where you're just really going for it and do a safe take that you think is more what, you know, someone's looking for, but then you're putting your own spin on it. And I think, I think the biggest thing to understand is that the reason casting and producers and whoever is choosing you for a role is not because you fit into the box that they needed. It's because you embodied a role in a way that they felt fit. And so when people try and suppress who they are to fit into the role, they're not booking. It's when you bring yourself and your individuality and your perspective to that role that people have a lot more success and you're more confident because you're like, this is what I see. I have a clear vision of this and this is how I would perform this. And I think that confidence is contagious. And when you've got 50 tapes that people are watching and you see something that is unique and good and well thought out, it catches, it catches people's attention. What about the, the roles that are, you you often see that are just, it's, it's, it, there's not much you can do here. Like it's a co-star mm-hmm. you're asking two questions about directions and it's gone. Like what about that kind of tape? Because sometimes I want to take this advice that you just gave and I want to like run for the Hills and do like the most fun shit ever. And you've seen some of my tapes. Like I do really, weird but you did. <laughs> You know, which there was a tape where there were a lot of arms involved and I, can't I told wait you to right after <laughs> and I was like, you're going to book this. And I'm not even the casting director or the producer, but I, re- I called you and I was like, this is amazing. And I didn't tell you this at the time, but I had two or three actors go out for that role and I watched the other tapes. They were fine. They weren't bad. They just weren't as creative and as exciting as yours was like yours immediately drew me in. And I was like, this is the role. Like this is your role. Like this is just you, you know? And so you do that, but I know it's really hard as an actor because you are constantly told that, you know, you have to do things a specific way and do it right. And have, you know, dot all your I's and cross all your T's. But the people that you see that are on TV and on your movies, they're not doing it that way. They're being an individual and they're doing it the way that they want to. And that's what's attractive about them. Yeah. And that tape was super like wild and specific in a certain way. But I think that also for people who are listening, who are like, oh God, I'm just like a normal person serving coffee. Like the way you serve coffee is still different than the way I serve coffee. Like don't totally don't get too weird. (laughs) Totally. But getting back to your question about like, let's just say your role is like you get in the elevator and push it by and you look at someone and you smile and then you get out. That still isn't about you. You are there to support the rest of the cast in whatever that is. You are a utility player. You are not meant to shine in that moment. That is, you're paying your dues 
to build your credits and do whatever you need to do. You know, it's, there's a way to do it where there's a casting director that teaches a class about this. Can I drop her name? Yeah, please. No, no. Debbie Manwiller. I'll link it in the show notes. Yeah. She, and I went a long time ago. Anyway, I went to her class and she invited me. I asked her if I could stop in because A, I hadn't met her and I wanted to kind of see what this class was. And I sat in on the class and the entire class was this scene. Somebody getting on an elevator, looking up at the numbers or buttons or whatever's up there with the lights and then getting off. It was a two hour class on this like nothingness, right? Or what we think is nothingness. When in actuality, like your role is actually, your, your role is so important where you are trying to not draw attention to yourself in order to keep the attention on where it needs to be. And there were people that got in the elevator and like grabbed their phone and started swiping and like waved and like did stuff. And it's like, no, that, do you do that when you get in an elevator? You don't like, I don't know about you. When I get in the elevator, I get in, go in the corner, I keep to myself and then get off when I'm going to get off. I'm not talking with people in the elevator. I'm not waving. I'm not like. No, I'm like barely making eye contact. <laughs> we all look at the ground, right? Especially now during COVID, like we're all hiding in a corner. And so the whole class was about this scene is not about you. You are there to support, but it's not about you. And so being able to pull that back and understand that not every audition is about you is really important. And your role is there for a reason, but that doesn't mean that it has to shine, you know? And it's probably not something that's going to go on your reel. Speaking of reels, great transition. Thank you so much. Let's talk (laughs) about profiles. Yeah. This question came up a bajillion times in the Patreon. In terms of online profiles, is there a preference of how you like actors to have clips? Would you rather them have three different ones, one reel? Like how, what's your preference? Honestly, my preference doesn't matter because ultimately I'm not the one that is watching it when I'm doing submissions, right? There's been a lot of, I don't want to say misinformation, but there's been a lot of like conflicting information about this because some people are like, just put the clip up that has, you know, a comedy scene or a sitcom or, or multicam or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So that when we're submitting, we can click, oh, well, this is a multicam. So I'm going to put this multicam footage or you've played a cop. So here's cop footage. I think there was a lot of discussion about that kind of when the whole like character headshots were in, like, let me put on a doctor's outfit. Let me put on a fire hat. You know what I mean? Like, and it was kind of along the same lines where you're like spoon feeding these looks to people. Does that help? Probably more commercially. It doesn't really, I mean, every casting director is different, but I find that just strong headshots work, but that's beside the point. The feedback that I think I get the most is that Casting takes you more seriously as a series regular actor if you have a reel uploaded. I don't really love that. And the reason I don't love that is because uploading your reel is expensive. If you have to re-upload your entire reel every time you book something, you're paying for the same stuff with a little bit extra every single time. And if it's two minutes and two seconds, you pay for three minutes, which makes me crazy. I know, I know. It, It irks me. And so I... Like I would love for breakdowns to offer something where they would have like a real price, right? And then you're still paying by the minute. But if you upload a reel that you've added a scene, you just have to pay the difference, not the entire thing again, because yeah. it dissuades people from doing that. And then they don't have their most current materials up. So what a lot of people do is they have their reel. And then as they book, they put up a new clip. To be honest, it really doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. It just matters to whatever casting feels. And I think the strongest thing is having a reel up there. However, if it's not up there, I can email it to them. I can pitch 
with your reel. We have all of our actors' reels on Vimeo. So whenever I'm sending a pitch anyways, I'm sending their breakdown profile, which has their clips or their reel or whatever media mm-hmm. is on there. And then I'm also sending a direct link on Vimeo to their reel. Now, the, this keep in mind, this doesn't apply to everybody. Like I have actors mm-hmm. with zero material up there. Zero, because either they've never booked or they just still haven't put it up <laughs> however long later, right? Um, and they get called in for series regulars and guest stars and whatever, because mm-hmm. it's either A, casting knows them, they have a really unique look about them, it's for a unique skill set, or they just have that cool look. I have this one actor that I swear to you, every time I pitch him, it's a yes. Every single time. And he had nothing. Like, he had like a weird little short film on his actor's access profile. But because I'm pitching with good current stuff and this guy's like the coolest looking dude and he's one of the best actors on my roster, like mm. it just works, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's not going to work for everybody though. So I think, I think the profile needs to be tailored to this specific person. And I think that that's a conversation that people should have with their reps because for him, I don't need a reel up there. There's no reason for him to spend the 22 bucks per minute because A, there isn't anything there yet. Right. But B he's getting all of the appointments without it. So he doesn't need it. Yeah. There are other people that don't really have a lot of trouble getting out. Their reels should be up there. Clips don't have 400 photos. Don't have a million photos, please. Like four at the most, four at the most. Um, you know, I, and I, I really think it's tailored to the person. Like I go through, usually I do this regularly when I'm going through people's profiles to pitch them. I will then go and manipulate the profile again, where, you know, we just switched breakdown profiles. So when we did that, everybody's profile reverted back to their default. So like people that we only had like three or four photos, now their profiles have like all 64 that they've ever had. So I have to go through and remove them all again. Don't have more than four photos. There's no reason because then it's just going to confuse everybody. Which, which one is the one that actually looks like you have the most current ones up there. Um, I don't care about clips versus reels. Do you change around? So like I have my actors access link that I am in control of like what goes where do you change around actors stuff on their breakdown services side when they are listed under your roster? You mean from like, from your side where you see like this rep has this and this rep has this, or you mean just like from my side where I see what I have? The, the breakdowns profile for each person that says when I go to like my breakdown profile, my actor's access link, here's five photos and here's my people and here's my resume, like that thing. And then the top right-hand corner is my links. Do you have a separate one that is yours for, to control? Yeah. So when you're in your actor's access profile at the bottom, unless they've redesigned it, but the last time I saw on the bottom, no, there's it's like still from 1995. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure we're still in beta. Um, <laughs> Each tab is like your, you have your personal actor's access profile. And then each tab is a rep and you can drag in, you know, photos and media into each rep, depending on what they want. Right. So then when I open up my breakdown express, if I go into your profile, there's a like photo bank in there. And then there's the photos that I actually have using meaning like that people can see. So like when I submit you, there's only like three or four photos showing, but I can go to your photo bank and see all the photos that you have granted me access to. And I can pull and switch if needed, but I keep my like top three or four up there. But let's, let's just say like, 
there's a role for like a personal trainer and like you had a photo like in a sports bra and workout outfit, mm-hmm. but I don't usually keep it up. I can then like just remove one of your photos. I don't even have to remove it. I can just add it in for the submission and then I can remove it again. So that like when I'm submitting you for a lawyer, there's not like you and workout gear, right? That's so cool to know. I don't think I knew that. That's yeah. great. And each rep has a different, you dictate what each rep has access to. Love so it. like in those tabs, you have control over the photos that I have access to. Mm. Let's talk about rep communication, because I think this is a big part of it. When we started working together, which was a, a little over a year ago now, we talked headshots. Aww. We I know it was like our anniversary. Um, <laughs> we talked headshots. We like I was getting new photos. We had like a very uh, I feel like we we nailed it out. Also, when we sat down to talk, it was very specific. I was like, listen take me or don't like, I get it. We're on the same page. Yeah. And, uh, and so when you have people communicating back and forth, you about headshots and stuff, like what are ways in which we can improve rep communication overall? Cause I feel like there's a lot of, of myths out there. I think that in order for you to have a successful relationship with your representation, whoever it is, whether it's a manager, a commercial agent, a financial agent, a BO agent, whoever it is, you're working as a team. It's not you hire Brittany and Brittany makes you a star. That's not what it is. We're working together. So I have to use whatever tools you are giving me in order to generate business for you. So for me, the one thing that gets under my skin the most is when I open up breakdowns and there are new photos on there for a client that A, I didn't know they were getting new headshots. B, I was not a part of selecting them. And C, they're usually terrible. And that is, it's the hardest thing because you might think the photo is fantastic, but you're not the one submitting you and you're not the one getting the feedback, right? So your reps might choose a photo that you might think, oh my God, it makes my ears look big. It makes my nose look big. It makes, you know, I'm not attractive in this photo, whatever it is. We choose the photos that we are going to be able to sell you the best. And you have to remember we're in sales, right? Like our job is to pimp you guys out as much as possible <laughs> to get you on site in the, in the most legal fashion, right? <laughs> we need to have the tools that we feel successful with. That's why if you're ever going to go take meetings and sign with a new rep, don't go get headshots five minutes before and be like, here's my new headshots. What do you think? Because they didn't have any input and it's highly likely that they're going to ask you to get new headshots anyways, because They either don't like the photographer, they don't like the style, they don't think it represents you well. They weren't part of the planning of, these are the roles that you go out for, so you should have something representative of that. You know, if you are a dramatic actor, you have zero comedy, yet all of your photos are with like those nerd glasses and suspenders, it doesn't, it doesn't match. Yeah. Right. And so our job is to work with you to, first of all, create who you want to be as an actor but also tell you who the industry sees you as. There has to be a symbiotic relationship there. It's not one-sided. It's not the actor doing all the work and it's not the agent doing all the work. You have to work together in order to present the best package. And if there's a manager in the team, everybody should be doing that, you know? And I think what you're displaying is the result of having a really good agent relationship, right? Like, here's my headshots. What do you feel like involved in the process, all these things. 
But a lot of actors, unfortunately, are in a place where they've been stung before. They've been burned by previous reps. So they feel there's there's a lot of trepidation to contact a representative or to ask a question or they send an email 15 times asking which headshots their reps like and they don't hear back, right? I struggle with empowering those actors because I'm like, that sucks. That sucks. I think here's the thing. Your reps work for you. If we're not responding to you and we're not providing you with the attention that you need and deserve, you need to find a new rep. If you sent your headshots to your rep 15 times and they have not chosen or even communicated with you saying, I'm swamped, I'll get to these next week, some some type of uh, alert, you know, that's a problem. Our job, you don't work for us, we work for you. I know sometimes the power dynamic seems otherwise, but we work for you guys. And so if you are in a situation where you are not getting the proper attention from your representatives, go find another representative. There's plenty out there. And there's this dangerous trap that people fall into, especially when they're new to Los Angeles. The first person that says yes, they go. Hi, and I while, did that. Hello. <laughs> nice to meet well, you. <laughs> yeah. At some, some people, it's a great decision, right? Like yeah. we have people that just came to LA that were their first agent. I hope that they have a fantastic experience with us being their first agent, you know? Um, but just because someone says yes, doesn't mean that you say yes. Take meetings, take multiple meetings. Just because one says yes, doesn't mean all the others are going to say no. And I know there are some agents out there. I do not do this because I feel like it's strange. They'll say, okay, I like you, but I need to know by tomorrow at noon. And they put a deadline on it. I think that's strange. Like why I don't want to pressure somebody to make a decision that they might come to regret or choose incorrectly. Um, so when we take meetings, I will tell someone, you know, if I tell them in the meeting, let's just say, I'd love to work with you. Are you taking more meetings? If the answer is yes, I will tell them, take all of your meetings because you want to meet everybody. You want to make sure that you are making the right decision. You're interviewing someone to date for the next however many years, right? Like you don't want to jump into that relationship haphazardly you just don't so I think that people especially new to Los Angeles feel that the first yes they get they just they have to take they have to take it because oh my god they got an agent there's like a bajillion agents in Los Angeles and there's a bajillion managers just because one says yes does not mean they're the right one unless they're me if I say yes I'm obviously the right one but um, and that's it and you close the door well let's talk about even getting a meeting though because it's, it's rough out there, man. It's, it's hard, especially for theatrical agents. Like, I don't know what it is, but it is like, I, I feel like I walked around with like a sandwich board across my body all the time. Like someone put me on your roster forever. So what, how, when you, when you are open to getting new clients and things like that, what is, what are the things that jive for you? Obviously it's going to be different for every single person. Um, following the submission process correctly is always a big yes. Um, what are the big yeses and big no's? I'm not ever going to read a novel about a new client. I'm never going to. And I can't tell you the amount of times that I get an email that's like six paragraph, single spaced, like size 12 font. And then they don't even put a headshot or a reel or anything. It's just like their entire life story. And I'd love to set up a meeting. We actually got one yesterday. And my assistant was like, they didn't even include any materials. 
And I was like, they didn't read the instructions. You know, if you're submitting to an agent, send your headshots, send your reel, or if you don't have a reel, any current self-tapes, and a very quick, hi, I'm Brittany. I'm looking for theatrical. I'm looking for commercial. I'm looking for print. Here are my materials. If you'd like to set up a meeting, that would be amazing. That's all I need. Because if I'm being really candid, I'm not reading that. The first thing I do when I open up a submission is I click on your actor's access profile because that is how I see people. I see people in that fashion. That's how I'm submitting and how I'm actively working each day. So I need to see what your profile is. Um, that's not to say that I want to go back and read it, but I look at your headshots and I look at your profile. And if I'm interested, then I will go back and I will read your email and see. I prefer referrals. I'll be very honest. And I always tell my actors, if you have a referral, have them put your name in the subject line of the email so that I know that this is a referral that you are actually vouching for somebody who is a professional, mm. you know, and that's, it's really important. There's a lot of people in this industry who think they're ready for agents and they're not. And just because you want an agent doesn't mean you're ready. Talk about that. Talk about that more, please. I, I've actually said this to a lot of people recently where they've like just come to LA or some people, they've been here for like five, six, seven years. They have nothing on their resume. And I've told, I just had a meeting with someone last week and I, I said, I think you're great and I think you're special, but you're very green, very green. You've never been on set. You have some great self-tapes and you have a skill set that needs to be developed, but you need someone who can pay very close attention to you and develop you. Now, there are some agents who love to do that and have all the time in the world to develop clients. I prefer to hand that off to a manager and I will say to them, go find the manager who's going to help you become the actor that's ready for an agent. And I know there's like, a, there's not, there's not a benchmark of like, okay, I've done X, Y, and Z, therefore I'm ready for an agent. Just because you have professional headshots and a fake reel that you paid somebody to create and you've taken a class does not mean you're ready for an agent. You know, yeah. do you have any experience auditioning? That's really important. And I always tell people, like I had somebody yesterday who they've been taking acting classes for years, but they've never auditioned. And I was like, you need to start in the commercial world, get used to going out, doing your auditions. They're quick. They're not like overly intimidating. There's not a ton of copy. Get used to that. Get your feet wet, start booking, get that confidence, then get your, use that money that you've earned from your commercial bookings and get into acting classes to then hone that on-camera experience, right? Yeah. And so I think there's a lot of steps and there's no right or wrong answer for anybody. Some people think they're ready for an agent and I don't think they are, but they're going to go to an agent tomorrow and they're going to be like, yes, you're ready. It's very subjective. Everything about this industry is subjective. There's no absolute. So just because I say, I don't think you're ready for an agent doesn't mean that you aren't. It means that I don't think you're ready for me. You might be ready for Joe Schmo next door. But I think that people like that really need to just work on their craft. You have to have a package that your agents can work with. It isn't always your agent's job to create your career from scratch. We do do that, right? But we have to be able to see that within the talent. And this is kind of where the self-submits come in of like the student films and the non-union this and the blah, yes. blah, blah. Like there is such a place for that in that. And I think that that's uh, a the, the best place to really dig in, in terms of, oh, I want to get used to reading scripts. I swear I can read for bigger roles. Like, okay, great. Read for this. Uh, I think, I think it gets shit on all the time. Like the, a non, it's a, it's a non-union short. Right. But it's, it's a thing. 
here's the thing. If you want to be an actor, you're going to put the work in, whether it's union, whether it's non-union, whether it's a student film, whether it's an indie, whether you're creating your own content, whatever it is. If you're an artist and you're craving this, you're going to put the work in. Do I want people doing non-union shorts that I'm representing? Not really. Like, yes, if they need, if they need credits and they just need copy or um, like real material and they need experience on set, 100% do it. But is it going to further your career? Not in the tangible way. It's not going to further your career as in like, I'm going to put this on my resume and it's going to be a career building experience. It is going to benefit you because you are getting hands-on experience on set, having to memorize copy, having to understand the different roles of everybody on set, having to understand how to read call sheet, having to understand everything, blocking and lighting and, you know, camera angles and crafty. Like there's so many like little things that like you don't want to show up on set and not know these things because it's going to be a harder experience. One of the actors I have that just shot a multicam had never shot multicam and was telling me that the whole time she was cheating toward the camera because she's so used to like being taught when there's one camera, you have to work on your angles. And it was a really unique experience for her where she booked a multicam, not having any experience on multicam. And the director and the other actors had to really help her like figure out how to work when there's four cameras around you because you don't have to open up to everything. Like there's cameras capturing your every angle, right? And it's such a different way. Now that is an actress who has been on multiple sets and is still learning something that is new. If we take somebody who's never been on set and we throw them into a multi-cam environment, it's a recipe for disaster. And it's scary. And the last thing you want to do is be put in a position like that where you are freaking out on the inside because you don't know what the hell's going on. In addition to having to try and say your lines and act, and there's just a lot going on. So you just, you don't want to be put in those positions before you're ready. And, yeah. you know, only, only you know when you're ready and only your reps know when you're ready. And it's, it's, it's so subjective and it's, there's no, it, it's not the same for everybody. And it's, it's, it's hard. This industry is hard because it's not tangible. There's nothing about this industry that's tangible except for headshots and reels and like profiles, but like the booking and the auditioning and all of that, it's all just rainbows and butterflies and unicorns and nobody knows which one is real. Right. It's just, <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. <laughs> it's a lot. That's why we try to debunk it as much as possible here. Um, yeah. Is there anything else you would like actors to know as we kind of wrap things up here? Your individuality is your superpower. And I think that that's really important. And I always tell people this, you don't want to blend into what everyone else is doing because it's not going to make you stand out. You just, you have to embrace your individuality and you have to embrace your uniqueness and just because you see on social media that all these people are doing all these other things, it doesn't mean that you have to do that in order for you to attain a level of success. And that success is subjective. An audition is a success. A callback is a success. A pin is a success. A test is a success. A booking is the obvious like success that everyone is thriving to achieve. But all of these little things are little successes that we have to really be appreciative of each one of those, especially right now where 
it's gold to get these auditions. And just having them and having the opportunity to turn something in is really, it's a big deal. You, you've got a, a, a pool of 50,000 actors in Los Angeles. I'm just throwing the number out there. I'm sure it's more. There were 20 people chosen to tape and you were one of them. Like that's a freaking win. Hands down, that's a win. And I think that's why sometimes it gets frustrating when people turn down those opportunities because what's that expression? They don't see the forest through the trees. These are, these are opportunities to not only work on your craft, they're opportunities to get in front of a casting director, show them your craft. And nine times out of 10, they're going to call you back in because they've seen your work and they trust your work and they trust your agent. I think the biggest thing is you have to have confidence in who you are as an actor and as a person, because they actually go together. And if you are not confident in yourself as a person, you're not going to be a confident actor. And if you're not a confident actor, you're not going to be a confident person. You have to have confidence in both. And it takes a lot of work (laughs) consistently. Yeah. Overnight, (laughs) overnight sensations don't really exist. No. Not at all. I think it was really, you know, when we talked at the end of, of 2021, we were chatting at some point and I just mentioned, I was like, you know, I feel like we had a pretty good year. And you were like, we've only been together a year. This was an amazing year. And I just want to put into context for actors, realistically speaking, I booked two jobs theatrically last year and we both agreed it was a fucking rad year. So it was things considered like, like, wait, wait, wait. you booked two jobs some of which became recurring. Yes. Some of which you then were called into those casting offices multiple times subsequently. Yes. And you had a shit ton of auditions. Yeah. I felt real good. I was. That's the win. Yeah. That's the win though. And like in any other like industry, if you were like, yes, I try and book all the time. And I go, I booked two last year. And you're like two, you booked two things. Like how terrible are you? Yeah. Right. But like when you consider that you booked two, was it only two really? I feel like you were working two. more than that. It's just two. Yeah. You were I auditioning feel like I was working all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like you were too. I, it's, those are, that's two out of like, how many auditions did you have last year? Do you remember? 52. Only because I kept Two track. out of 52. Mm-hmm. Look, when you look at numbers, is that great? No. No. But you booked two jobs. Yeah. And of those other 50, you generated future appointments and you formed new relationships with people that you may not have known that are going to then be fruitful and turn into bookings for you this year or next year. It's a, it's a long game. It's not a short game. So I know you're about like goals and like yearly analysis and stuff like that, but it (laughs) is something to remember that it's not only about the year you have to look at when did I start and where am I now? Because that is where the difference is, is your growth over the course of time. It's you, you can't always like put it in a bucket of a year because it's, if tricks your mind. Yeah. And I, well, this conversation too, is exactly what I wanted out of a rep is someone who, who saw the long distance, who saw the small victories with me, who saw, you know, cause I've been in situations before where I had representation and it was it was, uh, where like I had three-way calls from a rep at one point who was like, you're not booking. We got a problem. I'm going to put you on this call and put you in a class. And it was awful <laughs> and intimidating and it ruined me for a while. So having this kind of back and forth is like, but you also have to remember that you put your work in. Yeah. 
there's a difference. You've put the work in. And I know that the, that conversation that you had with a prior rep probably scarred you, mm-hmm. but it also lit a flame under your ass, right? You worked harder because of that. Sure did. Probably to prove that person wrong, right? Yes. But like <laughs> every it, day, <laughs> it, it forced you to really focus and, and take your career seriously and make it a priority. Mm-hmm. And I think that if a rep sees that you are putting in the time that we are, there should be nothing wrong with that. You're not going to book every single job. You're just not. But you also have to remember that we only make 10% of the job. Yeah. You make 90%. Which like is not that much. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other podcast, girl. That is a whole other thing. <laughs> oh, before we get into numbers, people are going to listen to this and they are going to want to know if you are accepting submissions for new talent. So head them off at the pass. Tell me right now, yes, no. And if yes, how you would like it. It's not really a yes or no. Currently, if I had to make a black and white decision, no, we are not accepting new talent um, theatrically. Commercially, we are, but theatrically, we are not. That is not to say that somebody might send me someone that I'm super excited about that I can make room for one more. Okay, great. Theatrically, though, we are, um, for for new clients, we are guest starring about. So if that helps anybody. Very much so. And then everyone follow Stone on, uh, is it Stone Agency or Stone Talent on? Stone Talent Agency. You got it all. Stone Talent Agency. Perfect. It'll be linked in the show notes. Um, Brittany, thank you so much. This is so great. Of course. Of course. Thank you for having me. 